If you were an engineer, what would you do? I'm Ollie Gue, and this is a Primary Engineer podcast. Throughout the series, we'll be hearing from engineers at the top of their game, university prototype teams turning wild ideas into reality, and starting each episode by hearing the engineering ideas of children. Today, it's Lisna Shara Primary School in Northern Ireland. Hi, my name is Amelia. My idea is a self-tying shoe. It helps people if they have bad back or for little kids who can't tie their laces. Hi, my name is Evie. My idea is the automatic car seat. It helps parents travel more with children of all ages, but I designed it for a baby. It has a bottle warmer, a drawer for toys and blankets that you can't store in their bag because there's not enough room when their clothes are in it. It also has a nappy and wipe dispenser and Bluetooth speakers to play lullabies to your babies. My inspiration came from my baby sister who is nearly one years old and she is so fussy it is hard to get from place A to place B without her whining. Hi, my name is Jacob Dugan. My idea is the Biob Fish Tank Holiday Feeder. While you're on holiday, it feeds your fish and cleans the tank so your neighbour doesn't have to come round and feed your fish. There's an app to tell you when your fish has been fed. Now, each week we're sharing a new problem that we'd like you to solve. Today's comes from Andrew Smith, aerospace engineer and baker. You may have seen him on the Netflix show Baking Impossible. On a hot summer's day, there is nothing more frustrating than having my ice cream melt too quickly before I've eaten it. How can I keep it cool in the bowl so I have plenty of time to enjoy it? You got that? Andrew wants you to find a way of keeping his ice cream cool on a hot day. Get thinking. You can send your thoughts to info at primaryengineer.com or comment on Twitter. We're at Leaders Award. Just a heads up, Andrew is known for baconeering, the art of combining baking and engineering. He's incredibly fascinating and if you want to find out more about him, he'll be on the pod next week. But before that, I have another fascinating engineer to introduce you to. Hi, I'm Kira McGrath. I'm a lecturer in aerospace engineering at the University of Manchester. Kiara's job sounds incredible. She's an expert in astrodynamics and space mission design. Let's find out more. Astrodynamics is essentially just how things in space move. So that might be planets or it might be spacecraft. And then mission design is really thinking about if we want to put spacecraft into space to do a, a certain task. So that might be to, you know, take an image of a particular place on the Earth, or it might even be to collect scientific data about the sun, for example. My job as a mission designer is to work out where should we put that spacecraft, uh, what kind of orbit should it go into, how many spacecraft do we need, and how do we get them where they're going. So yeah, it's it's a really exciting job. And currently, we have more than 3,000 active spacecraft in orbit around our Earth, and we're launching more all the time. So it's a really exciting field to work in. It sounds like a busy space up there. 3,000! Could, could we fit any more up there? 
<laughs> yeah, it's, it, it is busy up there. And that's just the active spacecraft. So there are even more that have maybe stopped working. Um, you know, there's bits of debris that have fallen off. So, so yeah, it's, it's a busy place. And, you know, a lot of people may have heard of the concept of space debris and space junk, the idea that space is getting crowded. So it's something that we're really aware of. There's kind of a balance to be struck between making sure that we don't clutter space up too much, but at the same time, remembering that the data and the services that we get from space are so important for people here on Earth. I think when people think of space, you know, we have a tendency to think about planets or galaxies or the moon. But actually, a lot of what I do is working with spacecraft that stay very close to the Earth. They're in orbit maybe 300 to 800 kilometers above our heads, so not that far away. And they do all sorts of things that actually help us here on Earth. So satellites for a very long time have been really important uh, tools to use in monitoring things like how the polar ice caps are melting, but also to detect things like deforestation so we can try and address those problems as they're happening. Closer to home, actually, there's a company uh, up in Scotland called Astrosat. And one of the things they're doing, which I think is fantastic, is they're actually using satellite imagery to identify houses and neighborhoods who are experiencing fuel poverty. So by looking at the roofs of the houses, they can see the heat escaping from poorly insulated houses. And they're collecting that data to give to the government and to help them to support those communities that might be struggling. A lot of people might know that the sat-nav in your car relies on satellite data to know where it is so that it can help you get to where you're going. We also use satellite data to monitor the weather and, and to help us with our forecasting so we know whether to bring a coat every day. Uh, I mean, good bet in the UK in general, but you know, <laughs> it's, it's always good to have the extra information. But there's so many more things that we're doing now. To give you an example, there's a company in Glasgow called Spire Global who are using spacecraft to track ships all around the world and try and manage that transport network. And that kind of thing is really important when we think about, you know, the blockage we saw in the Suez Canal in 2021, because if they know where all these ships are, they can help to plan how they can reroute them and how they can get those deliveries to where they need to go. Another one I think people aren't aware of is that we use satellites to secure and process financial transactions. Really? So when you're, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when you're paying for your morning coffee or you're, you're paying your rent, we use satellite data to, to check that the timing of all those transactions happens at the right time so that the, the money leaves your account and goes straight to the person that it's going to and doesn't get lost in the ether on the way. So yeah, so it, it's actually a really big part of our lives, but it's just, it's just invisible. It's hidden away from us all. So uh, fundamental to the to the modern experience, really. And and without it, if we just suddenly lost all these satellites, I mean, uh, I guess the world that we live in, what we see right now would be changed entirely. Absolutely. I mean, it's always one of these things we talk about, this idea that, you know, there could be something like a giant solar storm that could damage certain spacecraft. And, um, you know, the powerful particles that come flying off the sun when we get solar flares, the particles that cause the aurora, um, those beautiful auroras, they can damage spacecraft. And yeah, because we rely on them so much, you can imagine how much of a challenge that would be. You know, if everyone's bank cards suddenly stopped working at the same time, it would be absolutely catastrophic. 
catastrophic. So there's amazing things going on um, with space data behind the scenes. Uh, and, and I love being able to talk about that and let people know just how important space is in their day to day lives. I want to bring back the discussion to Scotland because you just mentioned Scotland earlier and you actually worked on Scotland's first spacecraft, didn't you? Yes, I did. So Scotland's first spacecraft uh, is called U-Cube 1. And I worked on that back in 2010, which was actually during my undergraduate degree at the University of Strathclyde. So this was an incredibly exciting thing to be able to do as a student. And my part of the project was that I helped to do the, the thermal analysis of the spacecraft. And what that means is basically to make sure that it wouldn't get too hot when it was sitting in the sun and it wouldn't get too cold when it went behind the earth and ended up in eclipse because the space environment is really extreme. And obviously we can't go up and repair the spacecraft once it's been launched. So it's really important that we get those things right. And U-Cube was launched in 2014. And I have to say, it was one of my career highlights that um, I was one of the people who had their name engraved on the side of the spacecraft. So it's very cool to know that there's a spacecraft in orbit that literally has my name on it. And and would you say that was your most career defining moment or or have you got something that trumps that? (laughs) You know, it's it's been a tough call, um, but I would say... The most career-defining moment for me has probably been being named the IET's Young Woman Engineer of the Year last year in 2021. Those awards from the IET have been celebrating women in engineering for more than 40 years. So it's quite incredible to find myself among you know, the other winners who are just such an impressive group of women. The reason I think that's been so important for me is that, um, you know, it's really easy to doubt yourself, you know, in your career. We all face challenges in our careers every day, and it's really easy to sort of to lose confidence. But this has really given me the confidence to, to believe in myself and to pursue my ideas and my passions. Yeah, fantastic achievement. And actually, you know, you are just a massive proponent of breaking the stigma around um, female engineers and also just about bringing young people into STEM. Why is that such a particular passion for you? Really, in the UK, engineering suffers from quite a diversity problem. Unfortunately, that just is the case. Only 14.5% of people working in engineering in the UK are women. And the reason this is a real problem is that engineers fundamentally are problem solvers. They're inventors. They are people who come up with solutions to the big challenges that we are facing. And so it's really important that we have a diverse community of engineers so that we can make sure that the solutions that we are engineering are going to be helpful for absolutely everyone on Earth. There's a fantastic book called Invisible Women by Caroline Criado Perez, who, where she talks about some of the problems that we have because women haven't been involved sometimes in the decision and the design process. She talks about how cars are designed so that they're, they're sort of designed for the average man's height, not the average woman's height. And as somebody quite small who has to pull her seat right up to the steering <laughs> wheel, I, I completely commiserate with this. But when I was thinking about it, actually, it made me think of during my undergraduate degree, one of the most fun things I got to do was to fly a glider plane. So this is basically a plane, but with no engines. 
I always remember because you have to control the plane uh, with pedals to, to help steer it. And I was too short to reach the pedals. So I had to I had to take a booster seat with me. And every time that I swapped in, you know, when, when someone would get out and it would be my turn to get in, I had to put in my little booster seat to get in. So it just makes me think if there'd been a woman on that design team, you know, maybe maybe it would have been built a little bit differently. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, one of the reasons we do this podcast, not only to, you know, make sure that children understand uh, how amazing a job in engineering can be, but it's, it's also because people still don't truly understand what engineering is really about. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I think particularly in the UK, we really don't have a great understanding of what engineering is. Um, I'm not even sure I fully understood it until I was about halfway through my degree. But it's crazy when you think that actually one in five people working in the UK are engineers. So I'm not sure we have an excuse for it. <laughs> but I think when we when we say the word engineer, we always think of maybe someone repairing a piece of machinery that's you know following following a guide or somebody building something that's been designed by someone else. And I think what we miss is that the engineers are the designers. They are the problem solvers. They are the ones who figure out how to fix these things and how to make them work better. Sometimes I think the concept of an inventor might actually be a closer analogy to what an engineer really does today. Because engineers are people who just see a problem and design a new technology or a new approach to solve that problem. And fundamentally, that's all it is. And I think that's the best thing about engineering, really, is that no two days are the same because there's always new problems to be solved. So you may not have really understood what engineering was, but you did manage to get a career in it. Um, so what was it that inspired you into engineering in the first place? And, and, you know, as a child, were you the kind of person who pulled radios apart and, you know, did did all those things that your parents didn't want you to? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, it, it's funny, isn't it, that uh, it really took a leap of faith on my part, I think, to go into engineering because I, because I really didn't understand what it was. I always loved science and maths when I was in school, and I was always fascinated by space. But I originally thought that I would study astronomy when I went to university. And it was actually uh, quite late in the day when I was applying to university that I had had a conversation with my dad. And he explained to me that engineers get to use science and maths to create new inventions and new technologies that can actually change the world. And I thought that sounded incredibly exciting. And the funny thing to me is I don't think I really was the stereotypical engineer that you would think of. I was never into cars uh, or taking apart radios or computers <laughs> or anything like that. That really was not my thing. But the truth is that engineering is all around us. So I don't think it really matters whether you're interested in sport or space. There is absolutely a career for everyone in engineering. And so what advice then would you give to any young engineers in the making or, or people like you who didn't necessarily feel like they fit the mould uh, for an engineer? I would say don't be afraid to try something out. Engineering is all about experimenting and innovating, making mistakes and learning from them. Whether you're just working out the most efficient way to get to school to avoid the worst hills, for example, or whether you're designing a, a new way to store all of your clothes and shoes and games in your bedroom, all of that is engineering. It's solving problems and, and finding a solution. And the other thing that I'd say is that if you're excited about space, 
you don't need to go and work for NASA. There are lots of fantastic companies and organizations in the UK and in Europe who are building and launching spacecraft and rockets right here at home. We're actually now developing our own spaceports here in the UK and hoping to launch the first rockets from the UK, bringing spacecraft into orbit later this year, which is incredibly exciting. So if space is something that you're interested in, I am certain that there is a career for you right here in the UK. Hi, Scott Douglas here. I just wanted to tell you a little bit more about what we do here at Primary Engineer. We bring engineering into the classroom while developing the engineering skills of teachers and practitioners, all while working towards addressing the gender and diversity imbalances in the industry. By working with students and teachers, bringing people together for exhibitions and celebrations, as well as running competitions, we are helping to inspire the next generation of engineers. Learn how you can get involved with proactive STEM and engineering projects by visiting primaryengineer.com. Next up, let's hear from another proto team tasked with turning a winning idea from the If You Were an Engineer competition into a working prototype. The idea we're discussing is Sarah's biogas unit, which takes in waste food and organic materials, turning them into useful gas that could be used for cooking or burnt to produce electricity. On the team from Glasgow Caledonian University are Emily, Anastasia, Sarah, Samba and the project lead, Darminder. As we know that there is a lot of food waste you get from different households or restaurants and the like, what this design wants to do is use all that waste and turn it into something useful. Sarah, what did that design look like, you know, and, and how in your minds has it progressed from that imagined idea on a bit of paper? Well, I think Sarah's original design really just looked like a wee shed type thing. And we took it from that. we done quite a bit of research into biogas systems that are already on the market, which was mainly home biogas. Don't know if you've heard of them. And we decided to do a concept design each. And we all kind of went for three like bulky tanks. And we came together and I think all of us were just like, it didn't look, wouldn't look very nice in your back garden having three massive metal tanks. <laughs> so we tried to make it a bit more fun and really scale it down. So our final designs kind of came down to just it's like a wee tank with a dome on top. Right. Just to kind of make it look a bit more interesting, a bit nicer and something that will maybe you'll be able to hide a bit better in your garden. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we're currently recording. You'll be in the middle of the build uh, once this goes live. But right now you're, you're kind of preparing for it. You're planning for it. Who can tell me about those first stages of the build process and what kind of goes through your mind, what you have to think about before you begin your work yeah I think we came across a couple of hurdles with the forms we've been filling in especially because we want to use manure in the labs and obviously create a, a gas at the end of the day in a container are you, are you excited uh, you know how does it how does it feel to be just at the precipice of, of beginning and having to think about how you get manure in the lab and things like that yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think because we've been talking about it for so long and we keep altering the design because obviously you can draw it and you can make CAD models, but we, 
you can't physically see it until you build it. So I'm quite excited to see how it's actually going to work and how it will look, really. And um, how important is it for you as engineers to, uh, you know, first of all, make meaningful change and to do something which actually, you know, improves the the lives of people, uh, but also to help towards our sustainability goals? I think it's quite important to consider these aspects because, I mean, I've always been of the opinion that, you know, a doctor helps people, a vet helps animals, but engineers kind of help society and become better and find solutions to the problems that we've got going on in the world. You know, for instance, um, you know, the climate change kind of crisis that we're in at the moment. So I think it's incredibly important and you've got, as an engineer, you've got to be in touch with current issues going in the world because if you're not, I guess, tapped in to the current times, how are you meant to find solutions? For me, since I was younger, I've always wanted to be an engineer. Like I've always enjoyed projects and I've always enjoyed helping people at the end of the day. As Annie was saying, for engineering, you're helping society in a way that not many people think is important, but is definitely such an important part of our society, I would say. A massive thank you to everyone who spoke to me for today's episode. I'm your host, Ollie Giu. If You Were an Engineer is a primary engineer production. Season two has just begun and we're releasing new episodes every week. Remember, if you have a solution to today's problem, get in touch with us on Twitter at Leaders Award or email info at leadersaward.com. We want to know how to keep ice cream cool on a hot day. Check us out, listen to the back catalogue and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And head over to our website leadersaward.com slash podcasts to access loads of extra content. Music